A successful life is not a life of things and accomplishments. It's a life that's well lived to the glory of God. This week, we're looking at four principles that will help you prepare your child for success. This message is the sixth in the series, A Life That Works. The message is entitled, Preparing Your Child for Success, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to talk to us, continuing the theme, A Life That Works, and we're talking about preparing your child for success. In this series, we've been talking about how to make life work the way it needs to work, how God designed it to work. Sometimes people will say, you know what, my life just isn't working, my marriage isn't working, my relationships aren't working. Well, the best way to find a life that works is to do life God's way. And part of uh, making life work is not just about us, it's also about our kids, our children coming behind us. Because all of us are beneficiaries of the people that have gone before us, and now we have the responsibility of blessing the kids that are coming behind us. And in Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 6, we find this instruction. I'm going to invite all of us to read it together from the New King James Version. So let's all read aloud and loudly. Proverbs 22, verse number 6, read with me. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Notice that phrase, train up a child. That statement, train up a child, really is more than a statement. It is a command given to us by God as, a, as adults, not just for parents, but certainly for, for parents and grandparents, but for actually all of us as adults. We have a responsibility to the next generation. So train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Last weekend, we talked about this whole idea of training up children. I talked to us about uh, three important things that will help us to do this. We talked about setting a good and godly example, a positive example for children. We talked about the importance of giving children truth that does not change. They need truth in their lives that will help them to understand right from wrong. And we talked about giving them love that's genuine. I want to share with you this weekend four more things that are vital in investing in the next generation. That's one of the priorities of our church, by the way. Uh, our church, we, one of the mottos that we use or statements that we use for our church is that we are a multicultural, multi-generational, multi-site church that always leans to the next generation. Why? Because we want to make sure that we are passing on our faith to the generation coming behind us so that they carry their faith forward and we have a continuing carrying forward of the faith of Jesus Christ until he comes back again. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. How about you? Amen? And that's our decision and we want that to be the decision of your life as well to lean to, invest in the next generation. So four things today that will help you to do that. Number one, give them discipline. Give them discipline that builds character. If you want to invest in the next generation, if you want to prepare your child for success, if you want to give them a life that works, you have to give them discipline that builds character. What does a child need for a successful life? It's not just an education. It's not just opportunities. It's not certainly not money. What they need to have a successful life is they need character because you can have an education void of character and you'll make a mess of your life. You can have money void of character, it will make a mess of your life. You can have opportunities but not have character and your life will still be a wreck. And so the thing that centers a person and gives them the capacity to be all that God wants them to be is the growth of their character. That is who they are on the inside. Strong moral convictions and strong moral strength and a substance to them on the inside. What I would call a moral compass for their lives that helps them navigate temptations and know what is right and what is wrong. And character is developed. Don't you wish you could take a character pill? 
And all of a sudden, your character would be there, but there are no pills or no drugs to give you character. Character is something you have to develop. And the Bible teaches us that God develops character in us as His followers, and He does it in three ways. He develops character by teaching, He develops character by testing, and He develops character by training. So teaching, testing, and training. Say those three things with me. Teaching, testing, and training. When God wants to grow your character, He teaches you. Then he also puts you in some tests to see how you're doing, see if you're learning these things. And then he also provides people to help train you in that along the way. And the same is true for us. Our job includes training the next generation. Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Or as the New International Version says, start children off the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. So we have to give them discipline. Discipline is a part of training. You can't train without discipline. Ask any athlete that goes into training. Their training always involves discipline. Proverbs 13, 24. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. So if you do not discipline your children, what does it say about you? Not about your children. What does it say about you? It actually says that you don't really love them. You say, well, I love my kids. Well, one of the ways you show that you love them is by exercising discipline in the same way that God shows that He loves us by exercising discipline in our lives. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11, endure hardship. God talks to us as His kids. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone goes disciplined, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. I think we should stop there and say amen. Is that true? Okay. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline is not pleasant. Discipline is not fun. Even in the most simple things of life, discipline hurts along the way. If you go on a diet, that's called discipline. And that means it hurts when you have to pass up that piece of chocolate cake that you want. Oh, it just kills you on the inside because you want to bite so badly. You have to stop going to Dunkin' Donuts. And you have to make some choices about that in your life. And doesn't it hurt when you drive by and not stop in? It hurts. It's painful. But when you can slip back into those jeans again, (laughs) doesn't it feel good? Okay? It feels good in that moment because it pays off later. Yes, painful in the moment, but it pays off later. It pays a fruit. It pays a dividend. It's true in our lives. It's true in the lives of our kids. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your children and they will give you peace they will bring you the delights you desire. So discipline is a part of training. Let's give you, take a, take a look. I want to give you five characteristics of good godly discipline. Number one, it's clear. Great discipline starts with clear communication of rules and expectations because you can only address issues and expectations that you first clearly communicated. You can't discipline a child for something they don't understand. Okay? You have to help them understand what the rules are. So do you have any rules in your house? Do you have some things that your kids really understand? This is right, this is wrong, this is acceptable, this is not. The same is true for you. 
When you're driving down the highway, you see a speed limit sign. That's your rule. Your rule says drive this amount of speed. Don't go over this. And if the signs were not there, you could not be stopped by a law enforcement agent to stop you and give you a ticket because, I don't know, nobody told me what the, what the speed limit is. And so the same is true for your kids. You've got to tell them what is right, what's expected, what is not, and make it very clear. You can't discipline without clearly defining the rules. Okay, number two, it's calm. Good discipline is always calm. The best discipline happens when you're calm, when you're collected, when you're not upset, when you're not angry. Because when you discipline out of anger, and we've all done it at times, it's just part of the human condition. Anytime you discipline out of anger, generally it's, it's counterproductive. It doesn't accomplish what you're wanting it to accomplish, or certainly not to the fullest extent. So you need to know that the rules are clear. You need to be calm when you're giving discipline. Thirdly, it needs to be consistent. Consistency really is one of, the, one of the keys to making discipline work with your children because if a child is corrected about something one time and then they get away with it the next time, you're giving them a mixed, mixed message, okay? And so it, it needs to be a consistency with whatever it is you're trying to train in your children so that you're right on top of it, you're following them as they're going through these, these dimensions of life, things you're trying to get them to learn, and there's a consistent application of it. Number four, it's corrective. What I mean by that is it's focused on the future, not on the past. See, anytime you're disciplining your child, it's not about what they did because you can't do anything about what they did. It's about what they're going to do in the future, okay? Same way God treats you. When, when you come to God and you mess up, anybody ever messed up before? Come on, tell the truth. Come on, tell. If you're, not, if you're not raising your hand right now, you're lying, okay? You're messing up already, okay? So all of us have messed up at times in life, and so when we mess up, we go to God and say, God, forgive me. What does God do? When you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you. And aren't you glad that God doesn't hold your past over your head? Anybody glad about that, okay? That every time you pray, that God is say, oh, before we pray, let me just remind you of some things, okay? Wouldn't it be horrible if God reminded you of all your miserable mistakes every time you tried to talk to Him, or every time you came to, work, came to church and threw you up your hands in worship, and God said, hey, before you put those hands up, let me tell you about what you've done over your life, okay? See, God doesn't treat you that way. God forgives you of your past, and any time He disciplines you, it's always for your future, He's saying, I want to correct this stuff in your life so that from now on, you're different in the way that you live. So discipline, effective discipline, is not about what someone did. It's about helping them for what they will do. And finally, it's focused on character. What I mean by that is you're not just teaching children to comply to a set of rules. What you want to do is help them to internalize those rules so that they have character in them, so that anytime, they, wherever they are in life, they apply the principles because you will not be able to be with them always. So the end result of discipline is not just adherence to a set of rules, but growing up and maturing in character. So give them discipline that builds character. Number two, second thing, give them oversight that provides protection. Give them oversight that provides protection. Kids need to be protected. They need to be protected spiritually and emotionally and relationally and mentally and morally and socially. Our kids need protection in their life. Because this is an evil world that we live in. When our kids go out every day, it's like they're being thrown into a shark tank. There are all kinds of sharks around them waiting to eat them up, to devour them. 
And so you and I as adults carrying responsibility for the next generation, we're here to protect our children. Now, you can't protect your child from everything. And if you try to protect them from everything, you're going to mess things up as well because you'll become an overprotective parent. And so there's a balance between not protecting at all and being an overprotective parent. And by the way, it's a problem that we have in our culture today. Uh, Also, not only neglecting protection on some end, but also overprotecting. There's a phrase that psychologists use for this now called helicopter parents because they're always hovering over their kids and so you don't want to go to those extremes but you want to make sure that you're properly bringing protection Proverbs 27 verse 23 listen to this I'm going to ask you to circle some phrases here in a moment there on your notes be fully aware of the condition of your flock and pay close attention to your herds notice the phrase there fully aware circle that if you don't mind and then pay close attention Another phrase to circle. This is an agrarian illustration. It has to do with herdsmen, people taking care of animals. And God says, if you're taking care of a flock of sheep, know the condition of your sheep and pay close attention to your herds. Now, if it applies to animals, how much more should it apply to your kids? Amen? But you're giving attention. You're paying attention to what's going on. You're engaging attentively with them. So let me share with you five ways to engage attentively with your children to give them oversight that protects them. Number one, you need to know who your children are. What I mean by that is this. You need to know their personality. Every child is different. If you have one that, more than one child in your family, you know they're, they're different, okay? They have different strengths, but they also have different weaknesses and different vulnerabilities. So you need to know where they're strong, but you also need to know where they're weak because there's some protection. You're going to need to provide this one that you may not need to provide for that one, or you may need to provide protection in another way for that one than you did for this one. So you know their strengths and you know their weaknesses. You know them. You have studied them as parents, and you know something about your children. How much do you really know about your kids? You need to know everything you can about them. Second of all, know who their friends are. That would have been a great place for an amen. No, it's way too late now. Okay, sorry. The single biggest influence in your child's life outside of parents are, your, are the peers. Number one influence outside of parents are peers. The people they hang around with. And you need to know who your kids are hanging around with. You need to know who their friends are. And by the way, if no one's ever told you as a parent, guess what? You're in charge. You have a right to know this kind of stuff, okay? You need to know this kind of stuff about your children because somebody outside of you is having influence over their life. I'm so grateful for my dad on several occasions, especially in my teenage years, that my dad stepped into my world and he told me, son, that person is not going to be your friend. I did not understand it at the time. I didn't like it at the time. But now I'm looking back over the years and I'm so grateful that my dad stepped in because he saw stuff that I didn't see because he'd been further down the road than I'd been he was able to read character that I couldn't read he saw stuff that I couldn't understand and he stepped into my world and said no they are not going to be your friend and he enforced that in my life in a a kind and loving way parents you need to know who your children's friends are Number three, know what they're watching and what they're listening to. Yeah, you're the parent. Remember this. 
You need to know the media influences in your children's lives. The world that we live in today, there's so much media stuff coming toward your children at all, all times in all kind of ways. We've got the internet, we've got radio and television and music, we've got uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Lord knows how many other things are out there that I'm not even aware of coming at your children and their technology, they're getting fed this stuff consistently and you need to check out what they're listening to. You need to check out what they're watching. You need to be aware you need, you have the right to to play private eye sometimes. So, are you sure? Yes. You are the parent, not just to snoop on your children, but for the sake of understanding what's really going on in their lives, because you can intervene. If you find something is going on, you can get in there early and help them to avoid something that will be disastrous to their lives, but you need to know what they're listening to. And I will tell you something, if your children cannot handle certain technology, then don't allow them to have it. An eight-year-old does not need an iPhone, okay? I'm just saying, okay? This is an old school message, but we need to hear it. Amen? Number four, know what they're learning and what they're reading. You need to know what they're being exposed to mentally, academically, and philosophically. What are they being taught at school? Do you even know what they're being taught at school? Have you looked at their, have you looked at their textbooks? Do you understand what's being taught in their textbooks? Have you raised any concerns with the school system about what's being taught in the textbooks? Well, I'm not sure we could do it. Yeah, you have a voice, okay? We still live in a democracy, by the way, okay? You have a voice that you can go to the school system and say, I don't like this in my, my, my curriculum for my children. I'm raising a concern about this. You have a right to, to do these things. Why? Because these are your kids. This is your future. So you're responsible for what they're being exposed to mentally and philosophically and academically and how it relates to the spiritual life that you're trying to give them, the Christian faith that you're imparting to them. And then the fifth thing here, the fifth thing that you need to do or be aware of as a part of the covering and protection in their life is know where they are, what, who they are with, and what they're doing on all occasions. Where they are and who they are with, and what they're doing on all occasions. Don't neglect that. My kids, I have two daughters that are grown and married now, and uh, I have five grandchildren. Our sixth grandchild is on the way, praise God, okay? Got a new grandchild on the way, okay? But my daughters understood something. They understood if they told me they were going to be at a certain place with a certain group of people, they knew Dad just might show up there. Why? Was I an overprotective parent? No, I just want to make sure because if you don't understand this, kids have been known to lie. And you've got to be aware of that reality. You have to be aware of that, that, that fact so that you're on top of that. And so where they are and who they're with and what they're doing. And I told my kids, as long as you're eating my food... And as long as you're cooling yourself with my air conditioning, as long as you're warming yourself with my heat, as long as I'm paying for your doctor bills and your insurance, then you're going to do what I ask you to do, and you're going to be responsible to me in a healthy, respectable way, okay? Okay? 
Because God put me in your life not to make you miserable, but to make you successful, okay? That's what a parent, that's why you're in a child's life, not to make them miserable, but to make them successful. How many want your kids to go further than you've gone, amen? I want my children to go further than I've gone. So I'm going to give them the benefit of everything I've learned because I want them to go further than I have in life. I don't want them to have to learn my lessons all over again. I've learned some stuff that I can pass on to them. Are they going to have to learn some lessons along the way? Absolutely. They're going to have to learn some stuff along the way themselves. But I want to give them the benefit of everything I can so they can go further and faster than I did in life. Very valuable, very important. Number three, give them structure that develops responsibility. Kids need structure. They need structure. Because structure is all about boundaries. Now, once you've written that down, I want you to look this way for me, with me for a moment. Boundaries in a child's life are two things, rules and responsibility. That's what a boundary is, rules and responsibility, okay? I've already talked about the rules, haven't I, okay? Let's talk about the responsibility, but let me talk about boundaries first. Boundaries are, this is what you operate in. Here are the rules, here are responsibilities for your life. This is your structure. And boundaries are a blessing because boundaries relieve insecurity. When you don't have boundaries, you feel very insecure. I've used the illustration before, but I think it bears repeating again today. Most of us here have driven to the eastern part of our state. And if you drive out to the beaches on the eastern part of Maryland, you will probably have to cross over, we'll have to cross over the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. Most of us are familiar with the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. Very long bridge tunnel that uh, takes you across, obviously, the Chesapeake Bay. The bridge, is, as I said, is a long bridge, and it's a scary bridge. It's scary to me, and I don't usually get scared of bridges, but it's kind of a scary thing to go across. But I want you to imagine trying to cross the Chesapeake Bridge with no guardrails on it. Think about that for a moment. You're trying to drive across that bridge and there are no guardrails on either side. What are you going to feel? A lot of fear, a lot of insecurity. And dear ones, listen to me. That's where a lot of our kids are. The parents haven't stepped up into their world and said, here's some rules for you to follow and here's some responsibilities for you to engage in. Here's some guardrails for your life. And so they were not, they're not able to articulate it but really on the inside because the guardrails aren't there because mom or dad's not telling them or giving them some direction or boundaries for their life. They're feeling insecure. They don't know how to express it. Sometimes their insecurity comes in acting out behavior and a variety of other kinds of things that will happen. But guardrails go a long way in providing security. And again, one of those guardrails is the guardrail of responsibility, learning how to be responsible. One of the greatest things you will ever teach your children is the value of personal responsibility. They will never be able to control everything that happens in their life, but they can control how they will respond to everything in their life. Amen? You can't control everything that happens in your life, but you can control your response. That's called responsibility. Okay, you have the ability to do what? Respond. Are you with me here? Okay. So teach your children personal responsibility. If you don't, what you will do is you will teach your children something else. You'll teach your children the mindset of entitlement. Entitlement says, everybody owes me something. I don't have to do anything. I'm just kind of, just mom and dad did everything for me. I guess that's how the world will treat me. Well, no, that's not how the world's going to treat you, okay? 
Because once you get out in the world and you get a job, they're going to expect you to be responsible. You have to have some personal responsibility. And so you can't teach them entitlement. You have to teach them responsibility. And so there's several things here, actually eight things. I'm going to ask you to read this together with me, all eight of these. These are eight things in terms of responsibility you can teach your children. Number one, teach them to, read with me, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Teach your kids that. You need to treat other people the way you want to be treated. That's called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Teach your kids this. Number two, treat what others own as if it were your own. So treat them that if you are borrowing something from someone, you go into somebody else's house, or you engage in something that belongs to somebody else, always treat it like it belongs to you. Treat it well. Number three, Teach them to handle, come on campuses, let's read it. Teach them to handle the jobs you're given with the attention and engagement they deserve. Son, daughter, listen, if you're doing your homework, pay attention. Don't try to do your homework and play games at the same time. Give it your best attention. Put your attention into the work that you're being asked to do and do it well. Number four, do Little things and unseen things well. Teach your children the value of little things. Why? Because if you handle the little things well, you will handle the big things well. Jesus said, faithful in little, faithful in much. Handle the unseen things well. Why? Because even if you do something, even if you can get by with something that's not, un- that's not seen by other people in terms of a project you're doing or work you're engaged in, if you step back and don't do it, what it does is it affects you. You know you didn't do it, okay? So it affects your character as well. And so people of highest character give their best not only to what other people see, but also to what other people don't even see, okay? That's character in their life. Number six, value the gift of, did I skip one? Yeah, I skipped one. Number five, sorry. Work to have something to give rather than always looking to get. Let me ask you a question. In your life right now, would you rather be a person who has something to give or would you rather be a person who's always looking to get something from somebody? Which would you prefer? I prefer the former. How about you? Okay. So I've got to teach my children that they need to position themselves in life not to always be looking to get something from somebody, but to be in a position to actually give something to someone. That means you have to teach them stuff like money management. Don't spend everything you get. When money comes your way, the first 10%, where does it go? goes to God. Exactly. When I got my first allowance, I've told you this story before, I got 10 pennies. It was a dime. And out of those 10 pennies also came an offering envelope. And my dad said to me, son, I want you to take one of those pennies with you to church this week. Nine will be yours. One belongs to God. I did not like that. But I learned that every one penny out of every dime belonged to God, and ten cents out of every dollar belonged to God, and one dollar out of every ten dollars belongs to God, and ten dollars out of every hundred dollars belongs to God, and a hundred dollars out of every thousand dollars belongs to God. Why? Because God wants your money? No, because God wants to teach you to be a giver. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And the Bible says if you'll bring the tithes into the storehouse, the Bible says, God says, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. There's not even room enough for you to receive. So the best way to blessing is by being a giver. And so what do you want to teach your children? You want your children to be blessed? 
Of course you do. So you teach them the first 10% goes to God, and the next percentage, set whatever percentage it needs to be. Certainly nothing less than 10% needs to be saved and put away somewhere, and preferably more than that. And then if you're going to save up for something, but if you're going to buy stuff, buy something that has value to it. But you teach them the importance of being in a place to be able to give rather than always looking to get. Now let's go to the sixth thing. Give the, or teach them the, to value the gift of time and learn to manage it well. Kids do not understand time. They think they have all the time in the world. How many of you were 20 just yesterday? Yeah, all of us were. Like, oh, I was just 20 yesterday. No, you weren't. That was a long time ago. But it seems like yesterday because time goes by so quickly. And so you have to teach your children value every day. I've never been with a person at the end of their life. See, remember this, time is life. I've never been with a person at the end of their life that they said to me, I want more life. What they say is, I want more time. I want more time. So you teach them to value that. Number seven, teach them to show, read with me, show heartfelt honor and respect to those whom it's due. We live in a very rude culture today, and so our children need to understand the value of honor and the value of respect. You may not agree with me on this, and it's okay. You have the right to be wrong. Okay? But we raised our children to say yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, to mom and dad. Okay? And to other adults. He said, well, that's really old school. Maybe. But we taught them. You, you respect your elders. You respect them. Why? Because they've gone before you. And you value them. And so it is a, I guarantee if you go in the military, you don't say, yeah. Yeah, general. You're going to say, yes, sir. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yes. No, ma'am. Yes. Yes, ma'am. You use all this. For, why? Because there's a respect. And so you teach your children, not in a harsh way, but to value, to honor uh, those that are in places of proper leadership and authority. Number eight, teach them to be a hard worker, knowing that your attention to work is how God blesses and advances you. The only place that I've ever found opportunity come before work is in the dictionary. I've learned in my life the harder I work, the more opportunities come my way. You want more opportunity? Like, oh, I just wish my ship would come in. If your ship hasn't come in, swim out and meet it, okay? Okay? Swim out to it, okay? Do some work, okay? So you've got to, you, you, you make your opportunities in life by hard work. If you don't believe it, read the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is all about diligent labor and hard work and teach that to your children. Let me conclude with my last thing here. Number four is give them experiences that build great memories and strengthen important relationships. Mem experiences that build great memories and that strengthen important relationships. In your family, a lot of what we talked about so far is all about kind of the rules and setting some structure and setting order and all that's great. It needs to be done, though, in love and also needs to be in, in an environment that's positive, okay? What you want is a family that has a level of, of engagement and fun because families are designed by God to be fun. Did you know that? Now, for some of you, that's a really foreign concept. How could family be fun? Because you grew up in a dysfunctional family, and so you said, well, my family wasn't very fun at all. But God wants to turn that around. How would you be glad for Him to turn it around in your generation? Amen? Okay? Don't carry on what has been. 
Turn it around. This can be the turnaround moment for you. And so your family is supposed to be a place of fun. See, if you, all you have are rules and you don't work on the relationship with your children, at some point you're going to get rebellion, resistance from them. And so you have to build that memories that provide this atmosphere. So, you know, our family is a fun place to be. It's not just about a hard line of everything you've got to do. No, we love you. And the reason we even give you rules is because we love. Now, let's have some fun together. Let's enjoy one another. Let's enjoy this unit that God has given us. Why? Because the family is the basic building block of society. Okay? When God created the universe and then he made Adam, he gave him Eve. And out of Adam and Eve came the first family. That's the basic building block of society. That's why the adversary loves to tear families apart. Because it's the basic building block of society. And to have strong churches, you have to have strong families. So churches are made up of strong families. So you want to work with your family so there's strength there. So there can be strength in the church and strength in the community. But everything goes back to having a family that not only has structure and order and rules, but also is a fun place to grow up. So work to build that kind of memory into the families that you're building today. So the scripture says, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. I'm committed to, and I hope that you are as well, let's do everything we can to invest positively and intentionally in the next generation. Are you with me on that? Amen. If you are, say amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. We ask that you'll take this word and seal it in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to apply it richly and apply it daily in our lives by the strength that you give us and the wisdom you provide. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God. And we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. And we'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus.
If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.